It's Midday Magazine for Wednesday, June 21st. Happy Solstice. I'm Shelby Herbert. I've got breaking news right here. A federal appeals court ruled today that the Southeast Alaska King Salmon Troll Fishery can open this summer and on time. The fishery will open as scheduled on July 1st. The appeals court reversed an order that would have kept the $85 million industry off the water this summer. The Washington-based environmental group that sued to shut down the fishery, the Wild Fish Conservancy, argued that allowing the southeast troll harvest to continue would harm a population of 73 orca whales in the Pacific Northwest. This story was originally reported by Anchorage-based reporter Nathaniel Hurst. The Coast Guard suspended its search for an overdue boater near Cake on Saturday evening. 70-year-old Timothy Wilson Jr. of Cake was last seen Friday morning leaving for a fishing trip near Pup Island. According to a press release, the Coast Guard in Juneau received a report from Alaska State Troopers at 8.30 p.m. last Friday of an overdue boater in a 15-foot aluminum skiff. The Coast Guard used a cell phone ping to identify a last known position near Payne Island, but at around 6 a.m. Saturday morning, Wrangell Search and Rescue spotted the Lund skiff tied to a small rock some distance away, about 13 miles northwest of Cake. Searches used the skiff's GPS data to adjust the search area. Several Coast Guard crews, state troopers, search and rescue teams from Cake, Angoon, and Wrangell, and Good Samaritan vessels joined a search effort that lasted nearly 16 hours and covered more than 377 square nautical miles. The search was suspended at sunset on Saturday. We extend our deepest sympathies to Mr. Wilson's loved ones, said Coast Guard Commander Raymond Reichel in a press release. The decision to suspend an active search is never easy and is only done after exhaustive efforts to find the missing person. The Coast Guard asks anyone with new information to call the Juneau Command Center at 907-463-2980. An author who has spent her entire career salmon trolling in southeast Alaska has published a new collection of essays at a time when the industry itself was at risk. Tella Anderson's book is titled What Water Holds and is both a memoir of a life spent fishing and a celebration of the marine environment that makes life possible. Adson recently spoke with Robert Woolsey. Tella Adson wasn't born on the water, but for someone who was landlocked as a child, it was pretty close. Her parents, both veterinarians, built a boat in their backyard in Wasilla, thinking about a day when they could sell their practice and sail the South Pacific. The boat didn't quite fit the bill, however, and they sold it and built another. This one, they sailed as far south as Sitka, where they and seven-year-old Tella became trollers. And eventually, that plan changed, too. When they were veterinarians, they had a client who used to bring his pit bulls in named Willie Lee, who had worked at the mill in Sitka, and after his shifts, he would row out into the sound and go catch king salmon. And he would tell my dad about that while my dad was stitching up his dogs. And so that's how, you know, that kind of planted the seed of what they were building this sailboat to work towards. Tella, how did your parents react to your decision to make this your career? 
Well, they were both out of it by then. My dad had gotten out of fishing when I was 14 because he didn't think we were going to be able to make it that way. And my mom managed to run the boat for another five years before that was true. She wasn't able to make it trolling, which I think is pretty heavy on a lot of folks' minds right now. Can you live the dream? And they both feel kind of cautious and glad that I'm still holding on by my fingernails. Last month, Adson joined a delegation of Southeast Fisheries Advocates for a trip to Washington, D.C. to share perspective on the Wild Fish Conservancy lawsuit and the federal court order that could likely end the commercial king salmon season this summer before it starts. Alaska's senators and representatives have already condemned the lower court ruling and, like many in Southeast, are hoping for a successful appeal before the Ninth Circuit. Being unable to fish for Chinook creates a huge hole in the economic and social well-being of thousands of people in Southeast. Due to an injury suffered by her partner, Adson wasn't going to fish this year anyway, allowing her to plan for a hiatus that caught everyone else off guard. Still, it won't be easy staying on shore during the summer, regardless of the reason. But you're taking this season off because of health break for your partner. And it's probably coincidentally a year when a lot of people are going to be looking for alternatives to trolling. And, you know, granted, that's all with the courts now. But what's it like for you thinking about a summer without catching king salmon? Well, without catching king salmon, without seeing my fleet mates, without seeing Sitka, I mean, that is, that's a tough pill to swallow. I'm, I'm going to miss you all. We're able to find some silver linings, angels, injury, that is the reason we're beached. If we're on land down here in Washington, we can do more advocacy for the fleet and for the fishery. We can speak up to the land friends down here who, you know, want to be supportive, but they don't get it and, and don't know quite how deeply trolling is tied to conservation until we explain it. When you're in Washington, D.C., and you walk into a Senate office or a, a representative's office, I mean, isn't that the first thing they go to? They look at you and say, hey, you, you kill fish. What are you doing talking about this idea that you all are conservationists? How do you put it? I will say that in those particular offices that I was walking into, I was really heartened by the support that I felt for trollers and how familiar folks already were with our situation and how eager they were to be more familiar and to know what they could do to help. In terms of the question about that, that harvester conservationist dichotomy, you know, all any of us have to do is explain the scale of trolling to really make clear the trolling trawling distinction so that we're speaking with the right language for folks that we're not on a, a trawling scale. I think you could probably understand a lot about trollers by reading your book. I'm sure you don't think the things that you're feeling and the things that you experience out there are by any means unique. No, I, and that is a comfort, is um, we don't all talk about the things that we feel out there or think or struggle with. Trollers are by nature introspective. We have so much time in our heads out there and the connection and the places that we go, you know, exterior and interior. I hope that that resonates with some of my fleet mates. Tella Adson is a lifelong troller in southeast Alaska who fishes the Nurka with her partner. She resides in Bow, Washington. Her book, What Water Holds, is now available from the Empty Bowl Press. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey.
As a note of disclosure, the story you just heard was published yesterday, June 20th, which was a day before the order to close the southeast troll fishery was reversed. A podcast on Wrangell history has won a national award for its series on one of Alaska's deadliest shipwrecks. Sage Smiley spoke to the podcast creator and the Alaska State Historian about the series and gaining national recognition na- national recognition for Wrangell Island. The rise and fall of the Star of Bengal is a story with truth, lies, legends, and a mystery sitting at the bottom of the sea. I'm your host, Ronan Rooney. You're listening to the rise and fall of the Star of Bengal. In late September of 1908, the iron-hulled Star of Bengal, battered by a storm, smashed against the rocks of Coronation Island in southeast Alaska. The ship broke apart, killing 111 of the 138 people on board, most of them Chinese, Filipino, and Japanese cannery workers. It's so viscerally real to me. Ronan Rooney, podcast host and amateur historian. Those of us who live in southeast Alaska, we know that coastline, you know. We've all seen miles and miles of it just going around. And to imagine a ship of that size wrecking against the coastline is just extraordinary. The ship's captain survived the wreck and publicly blamed the captains of the two tugboats that had been towing the Star of Bengal. After months of federal investigation, nobody was ever held responsible. The story struck a chord with Rooney, who grew up in Wrangell. I know exactly what it feels like to jump off the dock. I know what that water feels like. I know what it feels like in summer and fall. It's cold, and it just, your lungs hurt immediately, and you have to force yourself to move, and salt water gets in your nose and in your mouth and you don't want too much of that and so to imagine a shipwreck where men are going into the sea and and the ship's coming apart underneath them was really difficult. Rooney started his podcast Wrangle History Unlocked early in the pandemic as he found himself with a lot more time at home. He's looked into all sorts of local history including a five-part series on the wreck of the Star of Bengal. I intended for it to be kind of about an hour when I set out, I thought, all right, well, we'll just cover this topic. Rooney says previous researchers and historians had already thoroughly analyzed how the Star of Bengal was battered by the storm and some of the federal investigation into the deadly wreck. He wanted to do something different. It's me making a case for why I think the captain of the Bengal and the survivors lied under oath about the chance of rescue, which was absolutely impossible. Although Rooney's podcast on the wreck contributes new perspectives to the event's history, it's not a complete record. The story is skewed to the captain and ship's crew, who were mostly white. There's very little out there about the cannery workers, most of whom died in the wreck. What the story is severely lacking is the voices of the Chinese, Japanese, and cannery survivors. Uh, We don't have their words to go by. So there's always going to be a cloud of mystery that may never go away. Rooney isn't a professional historian. He was born and raised in Wrangell and graduated from the local high school in 2003. He now lives down south with his family, but the early pandemic brought him back to looking at Wrangell's history. The podcast is a sort of audio theater with narration from Rooney, sound effects, and friends and family playing parts. It's truly a mom-and-pop little history shop. The rise and fall of the Star of Bengal is worth much more than its entertainment value. My name is Katie Ringsbeck. I'm the Alaska 
state historian. Ringsmith's office in Anchorage has been gathering information to potentially place the Star of Bengal shipwreck on the National Historic Place Register. It's part of a broader push in recent years to investigate and recognize the importance of the wreck. She stumbled on the podcast while searching online. And was just really, really impressed with the amount of work uh, Ronan put into it. You know, it, here's a just a, a person, you know, not a, a, a Ph.D. historian or a professor or, you know, a person who just really loves local history and had a skill set that allowed him to share that interest with this this larger community. And I thought that was really, really important. Ringsmith says Rooney's podcast series on the shipwreck is compelling for a number of reasons. It's an important story about an underrepresented community, as well as an important story in Alaska maritime and cannery history. And I thought that it was probably the best account of that event that I've ever read or or experienced. So she decided to nominate the series for an American Association for State and Local History Award. It's, you know, not just something that is cool and, you know, connects people, but also offers an important contribution to the scholarship and our greater understanding of the historic record, which this project absolutely did. And the award committee thought so, too. Wrangle History Unlocked, The Rise and Fall of the Star of Bengal won an award of excellence. For Rooney, the recognition has him on cloud nine. I mean, I've just been beaming for days now. It's just a huge honor. But he's not resting on his laurels. Rooney is bursting with ideas for future series and episodes. That's the great thing about history is that it's always just there. Um, you can always go tap into it. You can always still find the power in it. That is a long time ago doesn't hurt it. In fact, that can make it more meaningful. Rooney's podcast will be formally presented with the award at the American Association for State and Local History Awards Conference in Boise, Idaho in September. Another Alaska history project focused on the former Diamond NN Cannery in Bristol Bay will also be honored with an award. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. The U.S. Supreme Court has ruled to uphold the Indian Child Welfare Act. In a 7-2 vote, it rejected claims that the law was racist and unconstitutional. Congress passed ICWA in 1978 to protect the rights of Native American and Alaska Native children who are being removed from their homes in alarming numbers. ICWA gives tribes oversight of adoptions and requires that Native children be placed whenever possible within their extended family or tribe or another tribe. It was challenged by several states and white couples seeking to adopt Native children who argued that ICWA was a form of discrimination. Justice Amy Coney Barrett wrote the majority opinion, which leaves the law intact. The justice wrote that although the issues are complicated, the court has rejected all of the challenges against it. She cited more than she cited more than a century of precedent and the plaintiff's lack of standing on the issues. For the hundreds of tribes that fought efforts to overturn ICWA, the decision is a victory. They argued that ICWA keeps families and tribes intact and maintains culture, maintains culture and tradition and is vital in preserving the tribes themselves. Justices Samuel Alito and Clarence Thomas dissented. 
Thomas wrote in his dissenting opinion that the majority of the bench had allowed the federal government to overstep its powers by displacing state authority to regulate child custody proceedings. For KFSK, I'm Shelby Herbert.